out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the photographer Vernon Dewhurst, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love and poetry. And also his life in the creative industries and photography, especially began in the sort of 60s and has uh, had a life in um, that particular world. And is also very, very well known for his cover photograph of uh, David Bowie's second album, which was released in 1969, which was originally titled David Bowie, but also became known as Space Oddity for obvious reasons. And um, yes, and also shared a block of flats with David and Hermione during that period. So this is the interview. So after several minutes of interesting but casual chat, we get down to that exciting subject that was the very early formative years and any sort of musical or creative awakenings. Any, anyway, Vernon, it's over to you. I think it must have been. <clears throat> um, I guess when I got back from Ireland in sixty. 60- Seven, because um, I'd gone to Ireland straight after college. I finished college in '66 and then uh, went straight to 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 Dublin and did a year there with my own own uh, photographic studio and got f- f- a bit fed up with Dublin because there was too much drinking going on. <laughs> right, and uh, uh, the girls were all a bit uptight, and uh, well, we found out I was with a, with a friend, and we, we found it all a bit not quite the scene for us. So we moved back to London, and luckily we got um, an arrangement with a studio called Studio Five in Mayfair, whereby we could work from the studio for free in return for a percentage of the work that we did. Mm. And um, Studio Five at the time was really the, the, the centre of um, fashion advertising photography in London. There was a lot of really great photographers worked there, including Bailey, uh, Vic Singh, Norman Eels, and, uh, and we used to get a lot of the, uh, the top models coming there as well. Yeah. So that was the sort of introduction for me into the, you know, the world of, of uh, advertising, fashion photography, and, and modelling. Yes. And, uh, at the same time, I, I moved into the. Um, I moved in with my girlfriend to um, a house in Clever Grove, South Kensington, <clears throat> which was um, uh, where David David uh, David Bowie was living. Um, What's the top I, I had a room underneath him, and so that was how I, you know I met him first of all, and uh, that was where I sort of got more interested in the music scene. Yeah. Um, so just before all that, did you were your parents at all kind of artistic or show you know had interest in sort of the arts or music or painting or anything like that? Dad, did they did they have an influence on you? My dad very much so because he was a very keen amateur photographer. Right. His father before him as well. So he'd have loved to be a photographer, but he was an accountant. And then you know the, when he was brought up. The important thing was to get a good job, a, a job for life. You know that was what. They were. So unfortunately, he got uh, he got pressured into uh, you know being an accountant, and uh, 
But he, he kept the photography, the amateur side of it going. Uh, I sort of learned photography from him at a very early age. Yes. Um, so that was the, the background so, to... So can you remember when you got your first camera? I must have been about seven, eight. Right. Like <clears throat> I remember my dad bought, um, bought two of them. They were a very simple box camera. One for myself and one for my sister, so she wouldn't get jealous. <laughs> but, uh, it was good to good to learn the fundamentals, you know, and uh, you make your mistakes. And then, of course, he taught me how to uh, develop the film and how to make prints. I used to do that in the bathroom. Um, yes, this is, this is the classic. Prints. So, when you first got the camera, were you using black and white film at that stage? Oh, yeah, only black and white. Yeah. So you had to sort of learn about sort of um, yes composition quite a lot and color um not color <laughs> light and shade so all that that was the, the the kind of essence really wasn't it i guess that would come a bit later when i was probably in my teens and uh, by then i got a better camera um my dad bought me i think uh, a model one Leica, which was the first 35 millimeter camera <clears throat> and uh, that really permitted me to get really good quality photographs for the first time and so so then that that up the the challenge if you like because the the possibility was there to get good quality yes on the so material when, so when you were talking about dublin i mean was this kind of during the sort of mid or even early 60s at that stage when you moved there i was there from 66 to 67 Right. So was that kind of the, the birth and the kind of beginning of sort of pop culture? Was that something that was on your radar as well with the sort of early, you know, 63 with the, the Beatles and the Stones and um, the kind of the the British invasion, which was obviously happening in America, not in the UK. But, you know, was that was that sort of on your radar? Were you in a different world at that stage? It was it was a background, I guess. You know, I wasn't you know fanatically interested in it. I didn't follow any particular particular groups more than any others but you know like you know I used to like the Beatles the Stones the Who and uh, uh, Leonard Cohen who else and uh, the usual yes groups of the time without being specifically um, interested in one over the others yes so when you went to you got that house you did, did you say that was like 67 that you moved in 67 I was in Dublin Right, and then you moved into London sort of soon Back after London, that. Yeah. Yes. So when you were there, just as a sort of idea, because I think it was David Bailey was talking about the 60s. This was a documentary I saw many years ago. He was sort of saying, well, actually, it was what we look at, you know, on that level of the swinging 60s and psychedelic 60s. It was only a very small group of people that were really experiencing that. Most of the country were not having the same same kind of technicolor sort of psychedelic experience at all did you were you at all sort of um was the summer of love 67 was that something that was in it had entered your field or was that something that was again in a different world no i think that was very definitely uh part of the uh part of that period for me i mean i went to <clears throat> i went to two of the uh hyde park concerts uh with the stones and i figured who the old one was meant to be in the, I think it was King Crimson was one of the support bands, actually, of that. Yeah, it could be. And uh, so, no, it was very much part of the uh, environment I was, I was living in at the time. You know, a lot, a lot of drugs, uh, um, and the usual sort of stuff you associate with the swinging 60s. 
Yes, the the kind of I think in '67 there was the, as I mentioned, the Summer of Love. There was the 14-hour Technicolor Dream at the Alley Pally, where Pink Floyd played and Arthur Bryan. So, um, mm-hmm. um, yes, that it was it was all happening. I remember doing an interview with Joe Boyd, who did mm-hmm. early Pink Floyd, and then the Incredible String Band and Nick Drake. And he said that um, when they you know entered one more when they left the venue in the morning and seen seeing the sunrise, they thought that. It was all, you know, society was going to change forever. He realised that was a, oh, bit yeah. a, a bit of a naive thing. So when, yeah, so yeah. sort of, um, yes, but it's nice. It's nice to be naive. We look back at that with great fondness, really, and then we get cynical. And of course, prior to that, when I was still in college in in uh, uh, in the Regent Street Polytechnic, um, we had the students' union had the most amazing um, artists come to play. Like Jimi Hendrix played in the student union. Um, I think the Who came as well. Um, so there was, even while I was at college, you know, an introduction to these big, big bands. And, yes, uh, well, that that's quite. <laughs> you were quite lucky there, really, weren't you? Just very lucky. Quite amazing. <laughs> I think Jimi Hendrix played with the student union. <laughs> yes, there were a few hundred people who were just just yeah. happened to be there in an yeah, uh, most a lot of them probably didn't even know who he was. <laughs> The ambivalence of kind of, you know, oh, well, this is fun. But, um, yeah, so then when you moved into the house, and did you say you were on the top floor or was David on the no, top David floor? David was on the top floor with Hermione, his girlfriend. <clears throat> I was underneath. Yes. There was about, I think there was five of us living in the house at the time. God, that's uh, that's amazing. So where, how did you sort of then sort of get to work or, and do that kind of, those iconic early shots because at this stage David was very much he was into the Lindsay Buckingham world but also Lindsay Buckingham Lindsay Kemp world sorry I'm thinking yeah, yeah. back there <laughs> uh, Lindsay Kemp meets kind of his kind of acoustic period uh, with John Hutchinson wasn't it Hutch yeah, yeah. so had you were you aware of that kind of um scene that was going on um above you not with David no at the time you know he was the guy upstairs who was hoping to become a pop singer, you know, and <laughs> like like many others, you know, it was seen at the time that everybody was either a wanted to be a pop star or a or a model or an actor, you know, this was uh, a fairly common thing. But uh, no, David uh, obviously obviously had talent, and uh, you know, I could see that straight away. But uh, no one could dream he would become, you know, the, the mega star that he, he subsequently did. No, and I always find it kind of interesting because when I've listened to some of that music from, you know, that he was making at that period, and then comparing it to what else was going on, um, it's kind of even more boggling, really, because it's so out of sync with the zeitgeist. You know, when he's doing these kind of rather quaint and folky songs, and um, you know, strumming his guitar with his curly hair, and as you yeah. mentioned, Jimi Hendrix, and then it was like Jefferson Airplane, The Doors, you know, The Beatles, obviously, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you know, and then you sort of get this kind of rather, you know, Love You to a Tuesday kind of record by David Bowie. It's like, mm, not not quite sure we can see the potential yeah. there. <laughs> it's it's hard one to imagine. Yeah. And we, so don't, did, we don't, talk about, don't talk about the laughing gnome, of course. No, oh, <laughs> when we do, it's even more boggling and baffling. But yeah, so, so did you, how did you then sort of become kind of acquainted or friends at that time, even though you're in the same building, doesn't mean you always talk to each other? No, but uh, we did. It was a very, uh, it was a very nice group of people there. We all got on very well, and um, we used to have lots of parties there, of course. 
and uh, well, it was sort of natural that uh, you know I got to know David. He'd invite me, invite me up to his room and play uh, play his latest songs and share a glass of wine, have a smoke or whatever. Yes, and, uh, you know, just sort of a, a, a sort of normal friendship going with him. Did it feel like a quite an innocent sort of romantic? kind of vibe that you were getting just not just in his, his scene but just generally because it does sound you know with the acoustic guitar Hermione yeah. and just having a nice smoke and a glass of wine yeah I, I think it was because he was uh, <clears throat> Hermione was a lovely girl um very uh like you say romantic in a way uh, very um straight and um I think David was very much under the influence of her, and uh, yeah, they had they had a good vibe together. Yes, well, it's quite nice. I've you know listened to some of the you know, quite a lot of the material they did, and it's you know especially with mm. Hutch, and it's quite sweet at that stage. So, did you then get the chance to go to? Had he developed the Beckenham Arts Lab at this stage? Um, well, David just asked me if I'd like to go down there and do some pictures. I guess um, this must have been fairly early on. I don't know how long the arts lab was going on for, but it's, I think it was fairly, fairly new when I went there. And um, you know, so I went down once and did a shot a roll of colour of him playing. Um, there was other people there, but I don't know who they were. Um, looking back on it so long ago, but uh, yes. And and were you at that stage? Had you left the you know the college? you know, degree, whatever you were doing, and were sort of also working on hustling to sort of make it as a photographer yourself at this stage? Oh, yeah, I'd been freelance ever since I left college. So this is uh, 68. Right. So I'd been freelance for a year and a half, a couple of years, even um, by then. So, uh, And were you doing sort of fashion and glamour yeah, kind of? fashion and fashion and advertising, um, Right, and, uh, but I was still still building up my portfolio. Yes, um, you know, and, and were you managing to get yourself kind of a reputation and um, you know a career, a sort of make, ma- managing to sort of make it happen? Well, just about yes. I mean, it was all very. Uh, I don't know. It was the sort of beginning for me. So you get by. You know, hope. You don't know. There's no guarantee of success, but you, you know, just do your best. Yes, and get the best portfolio together you can, and uh, you know, ho- hope that you get work. Yes, absolutely. So then, so so, how does this this kind of the the shot and the and the kind of the se- the session come about that um, then becomes the the first album, which is kind of Space Oddity. Well, it came. It was directly from the pictures I did of him and the uh, in the arts lab when I when I showed them to David. He uh, he asked me if I'd take them around to um, to Mercury Records and show show them to Calvin Markley, who was the AR man. Yeah. Uh, so I did that, and um, Calvin's a really nice guy. We hit it off really well. He loved the pictures, and uh, you know we we became good friends. And it's after that, not long after that, maybe a month or so, at the most, that um, David asked me if I'd talk to Calvin about. Doing the cover for his LP, yes, and um, I think we, I think I met David at uh, Calvin's office to discuss it, and uh, 
Calvin collected Fazarelli prints, you know, the op artist, and uh, he had well, about a dozen of these in, in, his, in his office. And, uh, and David quite liked the idea of using one as a background. Um, um, now, I thought it wouldn't work if, it was just, if he was just standing in front of it. I thought, you know, that just looks, doesn't look modern, doesn't look with it. Yes. So, um, I suggested we try and do a shot with him emerging from the background, um, which is what eventually we did. It was a rather complicated procedure in those days, so there was no Photoshop, of course, so it had to be done, had to be done mechanically by, um, by some quite skilled retouchers. Yes. God, that's amazing, actually. And did you, with that particular session, were you sort of at that time just kind of working on your own? You didn't have a, a team of assistants around you? Oh, no, no. I had an assistant, <clears throat> an assistant, Chinese guy called um, Zin. Um, so there was just myself, Zin, Calvin and David at the session. So, right. Um, it was, you know, the best way to work, fewer people as possible. And, uh, and David, of course, very relaxed. Um, a born, a born poser. He loved posing. <laughs> yes. Well, that's. I must admit, over the decades, I've realised that he had so many sessions with so many photographers. Mm. Um, there has been no other person quite like him. So you know, I mean, I think we've almost got to the end, but we probably haven't of all the different people releasing and publishing their books of David Bowie yeah. pictures, because it's just like, how many people did you work with, David? You know, it's like, so <laughs> even at that stage in the 60s, he loved the lens, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of stars, of course, they get a bit blase about it. And they don't want to do pictures with so-and-so. They only do pictures with somebody else. So but I think David was quite keen on getting his picture anywhere. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. So once that came out, you got the photo, then you photoshop not photoshop, you sort of did you how did you then construct the the image for the um the album? Well, I didn't do it myself. I I, I photographed the album as is, you know, a straightforward picture of that. And then we went through all the pictures I'd done of all the portraits I'd done of David, picked out the one we thought would was the best, and then I gave the two two transparencies to the uh, the people who are actually going to do the the, uh, the merging, yes, uh, retouching retouching company, and they did it, and it's beautiful. And it? After a few, it took them a few goes, and uh, but they did it in the end. My God, that's incredible! And then is that the? I mean, what happens next? Because obviously, you know, things move on. Do you at that stage then sort of? Who moves out of the house first out of the, the, the little group of you there? Well, the, the lease came up at the end of 69. Um, <clears throat> I think it was about September 69, so everybody had to move out. And this coincided with uh, with myself moving to Paris. I'd been trying to get to Paris for about six months, going there and back, trying to get work. Yes. And uh, I decided when the lease was up that I might as well do, make the jump and go, out, go and live there sort of permanently yeah. which is what i did amazing and then so then with paris what what how do you then develop the rest of your career at this stage well it was still more or less starting off fresh luckily i had a few contacts over there so um you know i could use those but so uh, no it was very very hard to start off with that very little work uh you know i had to build it up slowly and um 
But at the same time, you know, of course, I lost contact with David Ennis. That's about the same time as he started becoming really well known. Yes. And traveling, uh, disappearing. So, uh, you know, we, we lost contact then. And he phoned me up in, <clears throat> in Paris when he was over there we're doing recordings, I think, or shows, I'm not quite sure what. And um, I didn't get the message. I was serving in a hotel at the time. And this was in the era before mobile phones, of course. Mm. So all he could do is leave me a message in the hotel, which I didn't get back to until late. And by that time, he he moved on somewhere else. And yes, because you have because you have another picture. I don't know if this is from the same session, which is that appears. Is it conversation piece? A book cover? Is that um, or um, with David with his hand on his kind of chin, looking at the camera? No, no, that wouldn't be mine. Right. So you just did that one session with him, and that was it. Yeah, that's right. The cover. Yeah. Oh my God, that's amazing! Yes. So then, sorry about that. <laughs> Got that mixed up. But um, yeah. But then after Paris, do you then sort of have you found your once you sort of get established? Is it kind of the world that is kind of advertising and kind of slightly more sort of glamour? Uh, yeah, mainly fashion in, in Paris. Um, yeah, mainly fashion until, and then eventually. Uh, um, I married, and we had a child. And uh, at that stage, we, I think, we both thought you know, Central Paris was not the sort of place we wanted to bring up a child. So we moved back to London at that stage. Yes, and there you go. And then you you stayed. I mean, did you ever kind of get tempted to do any more sort of working with musicians and bands and stuff like that, or was it something that just didn't sort of enter your radar at all? Didn't didn't really. Yeah, it wasn't really uh, sort of my field. I thought um, I did. Uh, I did a couple of other covers, but purely accidentally because you know I knew somebody or uh, somebody had found my my details. But um, um, yeah, that's about it. Yes, and each decade often has a different sort of a narrative and a bit of a different quality. So that that was the kind of the seventies. What what was your sort of work in the eighties? Did you Continue 80s back in London. That was more, uh, moved more into the public relations and advertising field. There was arriving back in London, uh, it was especially like starting up again from yes. scratch, no clients. So it was more or less going through the same routine I had sort of 10 years ago in Paris, you know, finding the clients and uh, also finding out what, um, what was the most reliable and, and best source of income. Because uh, you know, when you when you have a wife, family, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's rather important. So my my sort of I moved away from fashion completely, much more into advertising and PR. Right, and I guess this was kind of really the not the birth, but there was a kind of a massive explosion during the sort of eighties and nineties, and then the internet. Did that play a massive part in your sort of world and career at that stage? The world, the world of dial-up. Well, yeah, I mean that came quite late. The the internet, I suppose, was around about ninety five. Was it ninety five, two thousand, something? Like yeah, that. that was where we suddenly got dial-up, and we had to sort of yeah, phone right. in and, and yeah, get really worried about being on the phone for five minutes. Yeah, send an email. Yeah, and of course, that's when digital photography came in as well. Yes, and that did that changed an awful lot. 
that changed the business hugely because um, a lot of um, a lot of clients started doing their own photography or employing people who are not highly qualified. But yes. that because uh, it's a lot easier to do digital photography than traditional film photography because you get the results straight away. And uh, this is what the clients wanted. They wanted to see the results straight away. They didn't want to hang around for three, four hours at best uh, before they saw saw the result. So um, that did change an awful lot. Yes. And did you manage to sort of keep working up till retirement or did you manage to somehow sort of find a way to retire before, I don't know, 65? No, I, I, I don't really. Don't really consider myself retired yet. <laughs> <laughs> this is the joy of being a photographer, I guess, isn't but it? But I think uh, I think you have to. You, well, something I didn't realise, but I think a lot of people don't realise until it's too late. But as a photographer, you have a shelf life, really, because there is a stage where the actual clients themselves either they die or they're promoted to a position where they're no longer commissioning photography. Um, so you know you you can hold a client for ten years or twenty years. I, I, I've had clients, or and in the end they've they've retired. Or <laughs> so, yes. Uh, so you have to stay fairly flexible, I think. And uh, I guess you have to be a real hustler, don't you? Well, I don't know. I've never looked at myself. Well, I looked upon myself as a hustler, but I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I, I've survived more by good luck than by hustling. I think. Right. <laughs> Yes, good luck and charm, I guess. I mean, when you, um, I mean, did you ever hear from David again, sort of in later life, apart from that one time when? No, not after Paris. No, not at all. Yeah, because it was it was interesting because I know he was he seemed towards the latter part of his life he he seemed to be making little kind of little gestures towards mm. people that he knew during his kind of early years, and he had that there was a t he did a video, didn't he? And he had a. Um, a reference to that film that Hermione went into um, about Norway. I can't now quite remember the title. Oh, yeah. but, but he he wore this T-shirt and it had this, because she then goes to do this film, doesn't she, and, and um, leaves him brokenhearted. And um, yeah. yes, and then in a video, he he's wearing this T-shirt with the name of that film on. So it was like quite a nice little bit. And I know quite a few people who got emails just before he died just to say, you know, we did some good work and stuff like that. So I just wondered if he'd yeah. kind of came out and mentioned anything to you. Did you ever yeah. see, did you ever meet Angie Bowie at all? Was Angie? Oh, yeah. Yes, I knew Angie, yeah. Oh, right. When did yeah, she? I liked have... Angie quite a lot, actually. I thought she was really, she was really nice and she was very good for David, I thought. Yeah. What happened well, she... later on, I don't know, you know. <laughs> well, well, she did sort of like in, inject quite a lot into his career at this stage. So did you meet? Was he still with Hermione when um, you you know when Angie appeared? Because I know I did an interview with Angie quite a few years ago, and she mentioned mm -hmm. I think she mentions Kelvin. You know she in you know Mercury Records because I think he's one of the people that she spoke to about I don't know getting David signed at that yeah. stage. So I think she she was quite instrumental in some of those kind of early business deals, wasn't she? Hermione, you mean? No, Angie. Angie, oh, I, I, I imagine she is. I don't have any definite um, information on that, but, you know, I would imagine she would be very, uh, very involved. Yeah, she wouldn't be sitting sitting back and uh, not saying anything. No, I wouldn't imagine. And did you meet Ken Pitt at this stage as well? Was he... No, around? I never did, no. No, I heard a lot about him. Calvin, Calvin, of course, 
detested Ken Pitt because <laughs> <laughs> he, he Calvin really wanted to manage uh, manage David, but uh, of course he, he David was managed by Ken Pitt, but uh, Calvin would really like to get him out of the way. Yes. So with that Mercury album, that was his kind of the first album he did on the label, wasn't it? Mm, yeah. And I think it was it was Angie who had sort of managed to um, negotiate the deal. So I had, to, yeah, I was just trying no, to work. No, that, 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 I wouldn't be too sure about that. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure how the times, which uh, the time scale, but uh, I had the impression there that the Mercury deal might have gone through before. And he was on the scene. But I'm not sure. Yeah. And what about Tony DeFries? Had he appeared at that stage? No, I don't know. I didn't know him at all. No, it was just that world of um yeah, I know it was it was just kind of a fascinating, you know, I suppose that few years between when you met David and Hermione and then Angie and then the next bit with you know Space Oddity and then obviously you know, Ziggy, it, it, everything changed so much. Did you oh, actually, no. did you actually enjoy or like the the album of the um, with your cover on? Was that sort of a record that you? Yeah, no, I loved it. Of course, David gave me one, and uh, you know, I used to I used to play it a lot. I thought it was really good. I loved most of the songs. I think were really good. Yes, I know. It's a, it's a little bit of a classic. Did you go to the exhibition at the V&A, David? David Bowie. I, I missed that. I can't think how I missed it, but I missed it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it but, must be um, strange. I mean, if you could have that, always... Sorry. But I believe they're going to do... Um, the V&A are going to do a, a dedicated museum to him there, so I won't miss that. Oh, God, that's right. That came. That was just announced last week, wasn't it? Mm. There you go. So who? So are the negatives of that session? Are they owned and in a cupboard somewhere with Mercury or somebody else? Well, no, they're with they're with the Bowie archive. And the story about that is that about so oh, ten fifteen years ago, I started wondering what had become of them because uh, as we were shooting on transparency film, everything went to the client. You know, I was left with absolutely nothing after the shoot. So I was thinking, well, you know, I'd really love to see those pictures again and it'd be great to get them scanned. Um, so I was asking around all over the place. I tried all the record companies uh, David had worked for, um, Mercury, Parlophone, Philips, all the others. He's worked for quite a few. Nobody seemed to know where they'd gone. But then somebody suggested I phone up a lady at... Um, in the Bowie archives, I forget her name, but uh, I sent her an email and just explained that uh, I was the photographer and I'd be interested to see if by any chance they knew where the transparencies were. And I, I got her an email back almost by return saying, yes, we've got them, all of them. <laughs> so I said, oh, can I have a copy? And she said, yes, of course. And they sent me high-res, beautiful high-res files of the whole session. Wow, that must have been a, really, that yeah, must have been a nice so surprise. And how many pictures were there of that session? Well, it was two, as far as I recall it, it was just two rolls. So that would be uh, 24 pictures. Right. And then you'd that add on, the, add on the, um, the actual transparency that we made for the record cover. Yes. So, so who on that level then owns the rights to the picture? Is it the client or do you still have any kind of copyright to it? 
No, the copyright is mine, absolutely. Right. But the ownership, strangely enough, is is now the uh, the archives. The yes. Archives. Oh, that's good. You must be quite pleased. So, was it the case that you didn't particularly use that image to sort of sell, but now you can, or were you able to get a reproduction and sell it via yourself? Um, well, now I have the files. I can do what I like with them. So I've been, I've been marketing uh, limited edition prints of one or two of them. Um, yes, it's been going very well. I would imagine, actually, with people, collectors yeah. of this world. Yeah. So for those who might be interested, where can you, um, do you have your own website? Is this on your own website? Yeah, there are some, and not all of them on my website. The simplest way is probably via or direct email. You know, you can find, if just type my name in Google and yeah. uh, you'll, find, you'll find my contact details. Or there's a gallery called Snap Galleries. Yes. Which is in, in the Midlands, and uh, they specialise in in uh, pop photography, and uh, they've got they've got the files. They've, no, they've got the files. They've got their, uh, they're marketing it as well. Fantastic! And you can get a signed one as well, which is even more amazing. Actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's really good. And so, I mean, if you were um, able to sort of whisper to your like sixteen-year-old self, kind of starting out in your the creative. You know, industry that you you went for. Is there anything in particular you might have said? Oh, that would have been a good idea, or that would have been a good thing to have focused on. Um, become a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, I don't think I, I would. I don't think I'd have changed anything. Because uh, I can't complain. You know, no. I think I've had a good life, and uh, I don't think I need to change anything. No, absolutely not. Well, I have to say the the you know that session obviously has a massive extra bit to your life, doesn't it? Really, I yeah, guess really quite yeah. a quite a trivial event of the time, and uh, and even afterwards, you know, I never thought much about it. But over the years, it's sort of grown in, and particularly since strangely enough, since David's died, it seems to have become even more important and uh, yes. interesting. And I guess with the the V&A exhibition that happened a few years ago and then this other um, mm. exhibition that's going to be, a, I guess it's going to be um, a permanent fixture, uh, you know. Yeah. It, it's kind of, it's the sort of interest in the, all these narratives and stories mm. just become bigger and bigger, don't they, really? So, and the image, of course, has been used all over the world. In, uh, the Pompidou Gallery had it blown up to uh, three metres square for an exhibition there. And uh, same with the um, Vancouver Gallery of Art. They did the same, a huge enlargement of it. And another gallery in Italy also made a huge enlargement of it. So, you know, it's become sort of quite quite iconic. Yes. Well, I guess this is the beginning of that. The 60s is one thing, his work, but this is the beginning of his kind of the 70s and then kind of onwards, really, isn't it? So, mm. yeah, there you go. And did you manage to get to see David play live at all during that period or just hear him strumming away in his um, living room? I saw him at the um, Festival Hall, South Bank, when he had a concert there. Um, and that was, uh, that would have been 68, I think. Right. Somewhere around there, yeah. He played with another group. I'm not sure who they were. Small faces or somebody like that. I can't remember. Yeah. 
Was Tony was um, Tony Visconti around at that stage? And he was. John? He played the same. He played with David. Of course, I remember David introduced him as the world's greatest bass guitarist. I didn't know he was playing bass guitar, but apparently. <laughs> yes. So I guess at that stage there might have been John Cambridge. Might have been about who was the drummer, but mm. um, probably not Mick Ronson. Had Mick Ronson appeared at that stage? I'm feeling not. I'm not absolutely sure about that. No. I think I'd remember if he had, but... Uh, yes, that blonde hair. Did it feel, yeah. I mean, you might have been in Paris, but I just, a few years later, you know, he appears on top of the pops singing Starman. Did you, did you sort I of... Saw that, yeah, I've seen the recordings of that, yeah. <laughs> you must have been like, oh, the hairstyle's changed a bit. <laughs> Everything changed, yes. Yes. <laughs> no, 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 the same person. A <laughs> guy from upstairs, but... Uh, no, I mean, David, I have the fondest memories of David because he was a really nice guy, tremendous sense of humour, always laughing, always joking, didn't take himself at all seriously, uh, which is quite strange for him in that sort of milieu. Yes, absolutely. Take themselves seriously. And what was, and was, and obviously Hermione is still around. Was she, was she also a sort of equally nice person? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have a lot to do with Hermione. Um, didn't see her all that much, uh, but she seemed to be a very, very nice girl. Yeah. Yeah. Did you um, ever get? Did you? Did you ever? I know. Probably that concert you saw with Tony Visconti was when they were in the band called Hype, where they. they I think they um, slightly dressed up. Um, it might not have been completely the same concert, but I remember they they did one concert together or gig, and it it was so so. Did you ever see David performing acoustically? you know, live, or was it just in his kind of living room that you just saw him strumming away? I think he was playing acoustic in the concert in the Festival Hall, at least the one he did, uh, and the one track he did, uh, <clears throat> he did Jack, Jack Wells um, in the port of Amsterdam, which I thought was completely out of context for him, but I, I, I'm pretty sure he was playing acoustic guitar on that. I'm not sure. Yes. And when was the first time you heard Space Oddity? Up in his room when he was just finished writing it, and, uh, he had his little stylophone there, which I thought was uh, a joke. I thought you can't be serious, you know, you're not using that. <laughs> Something out of a Christmas cracker, you know, and made this awful noise, awful yeah. noise. Yes, I know. <laughs> when, when, when you hear it in context, you know, when you actually track it, it's, it's perfect. Yes, at that stage, I guess the the kind of the moon landing was such a a mon monumental moment, wasn't it? Mm, it was all all space at the time. It was very very uh, space orientated. I would imagine, you know, the the excitement of what what's mm. going to happen next was just amazing. Then we had the seventies mm. and the three day week. So yeah. never mind. <laughs> it was it, it was. It was a little bit of a grubby decade at times with great music. But look, thank you ever so much for your time. This has been amazing. If you want, I can always send you a copy of the interview. And then I don't know if you've got any place, space that you can put it. I think you've got a Facebook page, haven't you? I've got a Facebook page and an Instagram page. And uh, yeah, I could stick, stick it up on that by all means. That would be magic. Well, look, thank you again for your time. This has been amazing. And um, nice yeah. Pleasure. Yes, take care. And um, yes, thanks again. And um, yeah, well, amazing well, uh, art. Yeah, the link and, uh, I'll put you up. I will. Take care. Um, Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that, dear listener, 
was the end of the interview. I'm sure you gathered that. Anyway, a massive thank you to Vernon Dewhurst for giving me the time of that interview. And um, I will put some links of um, how you can find his work and um, purchase bits and pieces as well. Aren't you lucky? Anyway, this has been The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just do C86 Show. All these have been archived, interviews, that is. So you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. It's true. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.